listeners, and welcome to The Manufacturing Marketer, a podcast just for marketers in the B2B industrial and manufacturing space. Today, Brendan and I are going to do kind of a summary review of our last Industrial Marketing Live episode, which is what does demand generation mean for industrial? So we're going to blow through some main points really quick, and then we're going to do a lightning round of audience Q&A. So let's do this, Brendan. All right. Hey, friends. Uh, welcome. So the first thing we want to talk about is in demand gen, you know, we want to always like with a strategy, look to the end, like what are you trying to get out of it? Right. And so Mary, I think we should have a discussion here about what results actually mean, uh, both in terms of how industrial companies traditionally go to market and or you know you do their marketing, and how uh, we are proposing industrial marketing company or industrial manufacturing companies have to go to market and they talk about themselves. So we have a traditional funnel and we have a new focus funnel. So, Mary, what do you think like the uh, the traditional funnel looks like for most of these industrial companies? Yeah. So if you are a marketer at an industrial company more than likely you're probably not measured by anything, which is when I was an in-house marketer, I had nothing I was reporting as far as leads or, you know, business results, business outcomes. It was mostly just activities done. Um, So demand gen starts with the end in mind, which is redefining what results actually mean for a marketing strategy at a B2B industrial company. So if you're like me, you might have been doing activities as your North Star metric. If you're a traditional company, you might be doing leads. So just generating as many leads as possible for your sales team. When we talk about demand gen, we are redefining results as marketing sourced pipeline. So this means quoted opportunities. So rather than just gathering leads for leads sake, we're gathering leads that turn into quoted opportunities, because that means they were qualified people who came in through your website or through your marketing campaigns and were a high quality lead. Right. So we're looking at in the new way, marketing source pipeline, you know, we're talking about, you know, getting, getting really close to revenue, right. For marketing. Whereas the mm-hmm. traditionally, um, if you are measured, it was probably on leads, right? So you're probably at the top of the funnel and you're just trying to jam pack that funnel full of people, right? So in the traditional model, the leads part of the funnel is really big, but then it quickly narrows down to quoted opportunities where you're only going to end up with a couple of people. And it's a lot of wasted time and a lot of wasted money, right? To move from leads, sales qualified leads to quoted opportunities. You're going to have a lot of um, degradation of quality of people as you get to the bottom of that. Whereas we're saying on the focus side, um, you know, if you put out good content, um, you know, try to be a thought leader, you're probably going to end up with fewer leads. That's just going to be the end of but we're, we're not getting measured on leads anymore, right? So you have fewer leads, but that leads to more of those leads becoming sales qualified leads and more of those sales qualified leads becoming quote opportunities with more of those opportunities than becoming customers because they were the right fit people throughout the whole funnel instead of, you know, random weird person at the trade show that only goes there for the swag or, you know, having a white paper out there or running a webinar through a trade journal, right? Where you're going to collect a lot of names and a lot of email addresses, but those people don't have projects that need any work probably ever. Right. So we're talking about, let's find the people that need what your company does and move them through the process. And don't worry about anything else. All we care about is that North star metric of marketing source pipeline. Yeah. I love that. Perfect. And then I think we need to talk about what does this look like in terms of timeline? 
Yeah. So this is a really difficult one. I think this is probably the most common issue we see at Industrial Marketing Live, which is setting expectations for results. So and like, like, I think, you know, we get ahead. it, right? Like, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure, right? Like yeah. either like maybe you're owned by a private equity company and you're getting hounded by investors that they need to make their money back. So you need to start getting results. Or maybe your CEO, it's a, you know, a family owned business, but he wants to, uh, you know, buy a new lake cabin. Like, okay, so now we have to get <laughs> results quickly or, you know, like, or just like, you know, large company. I was at Graco, uh, Mayor's at a large company. And, you know, we had, we were publicly traded on the stock market, right? So we had to make results. Like we had a sales goal, we had a revenue goal and we had to meet those. And yeah. so like you have compressed time. And so, yeah, this timeline is very important, but you don't want to sacrifice quality just to make a timeline. Absolutely. And so maybe like, maybe in the beginning, moving to a demand gen role takes a lot of extra time, but I think we're going to say that expounds quickly and leads to better results down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's a great point. So when communicating um, your timeline to marketing ROI, you need to let your leadership team know that marketing is never going to outpace your sales cycle length, especially when you're just starting out. So marketing results, if they need a firm number, Tell them it's going to take at least 2x your average sales cycle length. So if your sales cycle is six months, it's going to take a year for you to see real results from a marketing program. Obviously, that's really difficult for companies to support and back. It's like, hey, I can't give you you know, tens of thousands of dollars for something that's not going to show results for another year. And the way you can communicate it, especially in industrial B2B, where it's very sales driven and sales focused is, Hey, what would you expect to onboard a new salesperson? When do you really expect them to start seeing results with their accounts and in their region? That's a really good way to also equate sales to a marketing ROI. Now, the other thing that you can communicate is, Hey, we might not be seeing results like revenue um, maybe not even really big quoted opportunities for a year, but we will start seeing qualitative customer insight results very quickly. You will know when it's working within the first, like, what would you say, Brendan, like 30, 60, 90 days, yeah. you should, yeah. at least 90 days, you should start yeah. seeing positive um, customer insights. What does this right. mean? This means people are telling you they like your content. So yeah. the target audience you're going after, that might be process engineers, operations managers, something like that, they're responding positively to the content you're putting out. It's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. And if that is not good enough for your leadership team, then, hey, you know, maybe this isn't the best strategy for them. And maybe this isn't the best company for you. You know, yeah. you have to reevaluate your marketing career in terms of how you want to be measured and how you want to be valued within a company. Totally. Nice. <laughs> All right. So, me and Mary both agree that there's at least five reasons why it takes time for us to start seeing marketing results. So, um, you know, marketing requires a foundation. Most of your audience is not buying right now. It's difficult to earn trust and attention. Your marketing results won't pace your sales cycle, like Mary just said. And then marketing is not an alternative to prospecting. So this first one, let's just talk about, you know, marketing requires a foundation. So Mary, obviously like running campaigns is the thing that all marketers love to do. It's sexy. It's fun. It's fun to see numbers coming in. You know, it's fun to see like oh, more clicks in LinkedIn or more clicks in Google ads or more form fills, but that 
is not the first thing we need to think about, correct? Yeah, totally. And that's the thing that you can show, right? That's like, hey, right. it's working. It's it's right. like what I'm doing. Like I told you it would work and this is how I can prove it. But if you don't start with the foundation, then that's going to reach a point of diminishing returns, right? You're only going to get so many extra form fills. You're only going to get so many extra clicks. So, so Mary, like, when, yeah. for a person that's just getting started on demand gen, like what are the things that they need to do now to set a foundation so they can start running campaigns? Heck yeah. So the first thing you're going to want to do is make sure you have a well-defined audience. So that should be one to two job titles at the most. And those job titles should be very similar. So I'm not saying you should be going after process engineers and operations managers. Those are two very different jobs. Choose one or the other. And it can be like process engineers and project engineers. So that's Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. So make sure your audience, if you're going to choose one, that it's very well-defined. And then you're going to want to create messaging specific to the problems of that audience. You can do that through customer research, which we have talked about on another episode. Then you're going to want to have an optimized website. What does that mean? You're going to want to make conversion really easy. So if they click on um, an ad that you might be putting out, or they just go to your website from an organic post that you did on social media or a blog, you're going to want to make sure it's very easy for your potential customer to get in touch with your sales team. Um, Then you're going to want a tech stack. This is absolutely essential. You cannot prove marketing results without a CRM. Um, Come at me if you disagree, but I have never seen a marketing strategy like this work without a CRM that you're using and operating in. Even if you're running a a leads-focused marketing program, I think you need a CRM for that too. Heck yeah. Right. (laughs) Got to. And then you're going to want a content strategy before you start running campaigns. So what does that mean? That means you're going to want to create content that your audience likes to see, read, and consume. So maybe your audience likes videos better than they like blogs. Maybe they like case studies better than they like literature. Maybe they want a spec sheet. You know, this is all going to come out also in qualitative customer research. So what kinds of content does your customer like? And then you can start thinking about campaigns, which is how you're going to get that content in front of that target audience. So I think we do this foundation piece really well at Gorilla, and this still takes time for us when we start a new client. Um, I think we we got it down to two months, and it is hectic. It's uh, it's a lot of work to get all that foundation work done in two months to start launching campaigns in month three. So, um, and we have like you know strategist on an account. We have a writer on the account. We have an account manager on the account. Um, like there's a lot of people here that are making that work. So give yourself some time and have some patience uh, while you're building this foundation to, you know, get your campaigns launched. Yeah. And who else do we have in that, Brendan? It's the client, right? Oh, so our and the client, client yeah. is bought in too. The reason right. that works so well is we have someone in leadership at an industrial company who is like, I will do what I need to do. I will point you to the people I need to point you to in order for this to succeed. So reason number two, why marketing results take time is most of your audience is not buying right now. Like we, most of us sell hardware or have sold hardware in the past, right? Like large pieces of capital equipment that cost hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And like Mary said, we have long sales cycles, right? Like we've seen crazy sales cycles of, uh, you know, months, six months to 12 months, I'll, like, and someone in an IML Slack group, so that they just closed a deal that had a sales cycle of eight years. Like that's <laughs> insane. Right. So 
like we have long sales cycles. Most of your audience is not buying right now. So, you know, there's not really a good way to estimate this, but I, I would wager it's probably somewhere in the two to 5% of your audience is currently buying mode right now. Mary, would you say that's probably accurate? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, even maybe closer to 1% for yeah. certain types of um, TAMs. Right. So if your audience is 100 people, that means only one to five people are actually <laughs> looking to buy your solution right now. The problem is most marketing that we've seen in B2B industrial uh, is very much direct response, you know, start a project today. And that works for the one to 5% of people, but now you're wasting 95% of your marketing budget now is being wasted because those people aren't in a buy mode right now. So what we would say to do is take some of that budget now and then run a content strategy program so that you can start educating your audience that's not buying right now on why you're a good fit. So when you are, when they are ready to buy, you're top of mind, right? Oh yeah. Acme company, like they've created really good webinars. I saw this good video. Uh, they're directly talking to my problem and here's their solution. <clears throat> so now when they're like, oh yeah, I, I need this, this large piece of equipment. Oh, first thing I think of is Acme company and I search for them or, you know, I search for their solution because I don't remember the company name, but at least like when you pop up in Google search or Google ads, you're there and you can capture that demand. Uh, Mary, anything else to say on that? Yeah, that was great, Brendan. I think that was perfect. All right. So the other piece to this is it is very difficult for us to earn trust and attention. And look, it's hard for companies to earn my trust and attention when I'm buying a pair of tennis shoes or like something <laughs> for my computer or a video game, right? Like, God, the amount of time I spent like researching video games that cost $60 because I don't want to waste my time and money playing a stupid game, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. but now like we're talking about like, a person's jobs on the line. If they buy the wrong thing, it doesn't work. Oh boy. Uh, they might not have a job after they make that purchase. Right. So they're going to be uh, very diligent in making sure that they find the right piece of equipment. Right. So they're going to be on your website. They're going to be in your competitors' websites. They're going to be on Reddit. Yes. They're going to be in forums. They're going to be on Google. Uh, they're going to be on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, TikTok. Like buyers are all over the place. They're doing all their own research right now. And if you aren't spending the time at the beginning to earn their trust and attention, they, you won't stand out. Right. And so you're going to be thrown into the pack with everyone else. And it's kind of up to the gods then if they, uh, if they select your company. Um, so that's why we're saying like having a really good content strategy that talks about the expertise that you have in the, in your field and then running trust campaigns that, you know, so you have case studies, testimonials, third-party reviews, um, you know, governmental regulation things like don't lead that you have ISO certification, but make sure that's a part of your thing so that people know like, oh yeah, another body has said that this person uh, knows what they're doing, right? So having those pieces as part of your content strategy is super important for you to earn trust and attention uh, yeah. during the phase when people aren't ready to buy. So when they are ready to buy, you've already done all this hard work and it's really easy now for a direct response campaign to hit. What do you think about that, Mary? Love that. Um, I think another piece of this is like, don't be afraid to give away your most valuable information for free. Mm -hmm. um, that's a huge one. It's still, we still see gated content all the time. We still see gated white paper downloads, you know, name your, name your fill in the blank tactic, yeah. give it away for free. Yep. Yep. Cal calculators, guides, um, yes. you know, even like running like a consultation webinar series, like, and have a SME talk directly to your customers about their problems that they're having. <laughs> yes. Thanks. Nice. So yeah, give away stuff for free. I love that, Mary. All right, Mary. So I think let's do a little more in depth talking about how we won't outpace our sales cycle. Yeah. So marketing results, if you're going to adopt a demand generation strategy, you're going to be focusing most of your time on generating demand 
not capturing it. Mm -hmm. So growing that trust and attention among an audience who doesn't need you right now, or even worse, doesn't even know you exist. So you cannot expect results to build. We call this a cold audience. So someone who doesn't need you right now, Mm -hmm. doesn't know you exist is cold. So it's going to take much longer for you to see results in a cold audience than it would to see a warm. You can see that in sales tactics like trade shows, like Mm. like white paper downloads. Those are much more difficult to close because the audience just isn't in buy mode right now. Yeah, totally. Um, Like, so there, there's this, there's the visible sales cycle, right? That take, you know, once they fill out the form on your website, it can take, you know, let's say six months for them to actually close and your sales team is actively working with them. They're working with your engineering team to get the project completed before you get the the PO in your hand. There is that hidden sales cycle before they fill the form out, right? I, you know, other people have talked about, you know, dark social word of mouth, you know, hidden sale, whatever you want to call it, but there's a time before they fill out the form that you know who they are, that they're spending researching their problem and the solutions that are available to them, right? So that sales cycle on the front end, uh, I think, you know, me and Mary say it's probably like the same amount of time that the actual sales cycle takes, uh, or it could be even longer. So um, yeah, it's, it's gonna, it'll take some time for all of this, all of this to work. All right. And I think finally, we just want to talk about how we aren't saying that your marketing needs to uh, get rid of your sales team, right? Like you need a marketing function and a sales function. We're not getting rid of prospecting. Right. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I would say this means the ideal marketing and sales alignment means that marketing does qualitative customer research. It creates content that a very well-defined audience likes it puts that content in front of those people at regular intervals. Mm -hmm. And then those prospects come to your site, come to your sales team to buy now. So what this means is you, your sales team actually engages in higher quality conversations and does more consultative selling rather than doing all of this education at the outset, like who you are, the problems you solve. They already know that. They've already done that research. So now your sales team is just listening to this prospect tell you exactly what their problems are. And then your sales team gets to do consultative selling. Yep. Yeah. And I would say like, as we talked about recently, how, you know, 80, 20% of 80% of a marketer's time should be focused on doing a demand gen um, program, right? And going after those North Star metrics of marketing source revenue or marketing source pipeline. I would like to say the same thing for sales. 80% of your sales team's time should be spent doing consultative selling to high intent leads that have come through your website. There is some time here though for sales to do some prospecting, right? Like I don't think our, me and Mary are going to sit here and say that our campaigns will reach hundred percent of the audience because they most certainly do not. Uh, you know, like on LinkedIn, we're seeing a reach of on our audiences of somewhere between 15 to 30%, you know, especially with these engineering type people. So yeah, a, a lot of this TAM is not getting reached. And so what's nice though, is because we have this, this content being built, we have a demand gen program in place, your sales team can almost do the same thing where they take the content that you've created. And instead of going out and just hounding people to get them to buy now, start a project now, send me your files now, we don't need to do that. Let's just reach out to these companies that are so basically we're doing account-based marketing now, right? Where your sales team's reaching out to the the you know the handful of companies that you said we need to get their business. Now instead of hounding them to get projects, hey, uh, you know, 
prospect. Here's a nice piece of content. Here's a calculator that we have that we think you'd be helpful. Here's an in-depth guide. Um, we're not looking to, you know, make you buy right now, but let's just start the conversation. You know, here's some good content. Um, let me know if you have any questions. We're here for you kind of thing. So uh, yeah. I'm not a salesperson. I don't know if that works or not, but to me that in my mind, um, I would appreciate that more as a person that receives cold calls and cold emails. Um, that would be a lot more enticing to me to like start talking to a salesperson instead of just, uh, you know, me uh, ignoring your, your calls and your emails. Mary, let's jump into a lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round. All right. So I'm going to ask a question and then Brendan and I will just take turns. So Brendan, I'll shoot the first question over to you and then we'll kind of trade off. Okay. Does that sound good? Yep. Sounds good okay, to me. Cool. Um, do you find that most companies are starting a demand gen program from scratch? Yeah, I would say most companies would be starting a demand gen program from scratch, especially in our space, in industrial. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's just, uh, there's just not like, there might be, maybe it's not from scratch with content, right? There might be good content yes. out there, you know, between, with webinars. And, you know, I think there's some good stuff in some brochures and flyers. You just got to pull that information out and and deliver that in a right in the right way. But I would say most are like the actual like messaging audience develop, like define, like defining all that. I think there's a lot of from scratch there. Tech tech, get me a CRM. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Any thoughts on how to navigate company owners who, even though results are being shown with slow progression, they want to pull out and move towards methods that are more in their comfort zone, like trade shows. Yeah. Um, I think this comes down to developing a smart marketing plan at the beginning of the year, or the beginning of the quarter or whatever your time frame is. Um, and getting them to commit to doing a program for an X amount of time with X amount of budget. And don't say you're going to take away all of this trade show money. Let, let, let them run trade shows, just find a way to do it smartly. Um, but then, you know, sequester some of this budget away, uh, for demand gen. And I think there's some ways that you can run demand gen without going crazy on spending paid social. Like there's ways to do it without, um, without spending a lot of money. Like you see a lot of like, um, Look like Refine Labs. They've had huge growth. You know, they're a marketing agency that works in the software industry. I don't think they do any paid media. I think it's all just organic on LinkedIn and TikTok now. So there's an opportunity to do this um, at a low cost and make it effective. Um, but try to take some of that money so you can run campaigns. Um, but don't take all the money at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. How do you approach company leadership when there is a lead source bias? Mm. I would say add a, how did you hear about us field? Yeah. So on your high intent forms, add, how did you hear about us and put that next to whatever lead source your CRM or marketing automation software is supposedly telling you. I'll give you an example yeah. from gorilla. We run LinkedIn and a podcast that contribute most of our revenue. 80% of the time it comes from organic search. But when we ask the person, how did you hear about us? It says podcast or LinkedIn. Yeah. And there's, I think there's some other ways to it because what I've seen in some CRM instances where, you know, how'd you hear about us? It's just like internet, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's like the best. People give us a ton of detail um, sometimes, but you can do a little, like, little research into like, okay, so, you know, I'm running um, this type of campaign on LinkedIn and now these types of people are coming in. So you have to do some correlation and it's not, uh, you know, there's not a clear attribution, um, but you know, like I'm running to this audience with this content and then they came to this page. Um, there might be a good correlation there that um, this lead came from this thing. Love that. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Um, we got two more questions. I've put a lot of effort into getting more of an online presence and updating the website. But when a new lead comes in from these sources, they are viewed as lower priority than word of mouth. 
even when the opportunity for revenue and long-term relationship building are much greater with the online lead. Any help? Yeah, I, I would just say, to me, that is a weird thing, right? Like if you, like that person raised their hand to say, I wanna do business with you here, I wanna get a quote, right? And so they both, both those leads should be treated at the same level of interest. Why, why is your sales team not immediately responding to all lead requests, regardless if they think it's not good or not? And then just let that prove out. And if your sales team is not going to follow up with those, God, marketer, maybe it's time for you to take a couple of those first calls and uh, and prove out like, yeah, that person was legit. I don't know, Mary, what do you think about that? Yeah. Totally. I That's like my number one thing. Call the leads yourself. Yeah. Show them, show them how valuable they are. And like, if that's going to be continue to be a problem and your leadership's not going to support you, I think you just got to take Mary's advice and maybe find some new employment. Heck yeah. Okay. Mary, did you see the biggest impact with the sales team posting themselves versus sharing company posts? I have an unactive sales team on social media. How can you help me get them involved? Don't. Your sales team should not have to post on social media. Your subject matter experts should. Encourage your engineering teams and leadership teams to be posting, not your sales team. Yep. I would definitely agree with that. Um, I think to the point, so between, if we're just talking personal pages and... Um, company pages, though, don't forget about your company page. I yes. think um, you know, one of the most clicked on parts of your ads on LinkedIn or Facebook is people clicking back into your company page. So I'm not saying post in there very consistently. I'd rather you know help your SMEs post consistently um, or your sales team post, whatever you, know, you think is going to work. For you. But uh, make sure that there's some content that is regularly updated inside of your company page uh, so that people see that it's not a graveyard and that you're... Um, um, being active and they can find more, you know, uh, articles that might be of interest to them that you're not going to have to pay for them. Heck yeah. All right. That wraps up our lightning round. That was awesome. I think we're well, going to end every episode. Maybe one point this. on this though. So yeah, yeah, go. Uh, your sales team, uh, they should be active on LinkedIn though. And they should be talking about content that you're posting. Um, don't have them share it. That doesn't work. It's never <laughs> worked. It never will work. <laughs> Have them organically post that thing, you know, that, you know, that link or uh, that video uh, themselves. Don't have them share because they never get any engagement and it doesn't work at all. <laughs> Love that. All right, y'all, you can catch us twice a month at industrialmarketinglive.com for the complete schedule and registration links. And we hope to see you at the next episode. Yeah. Uh, the IML that we covered this podcast on. We'll put the the link to that YouTube uh, down in the description for you. So you can go check out that whole conversation that me and Mary had with uh, the IML community. Um, and then, yeah, join us in Slack too. Just shoot me, Mary, a DM and we'll get you uh, into the Slack uh, with what is, I think like 70 industrial marketers yeah. now. So um, yeah, we pretty much posting in there almost every single day. Uh, people bringing in all the work that they're doing, questions that they have, uh, and the community is great. Hope to see you there.